The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest clues, to the backwoods swamp where you hit the bottom, to the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Drew Hunter from Sally Dark Rides, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. <laughs> Hi, this is Michelle Casalio here in Charlotte at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. This is Isaac Goodwell from Pickle Punks, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. (laughs) And you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. (laughs) Hi, this is Beth Williams with Drop Dead Design Studios, and I'm here with The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Petunia from Gravestone Girls, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Ah! You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Spring is almost upon us, and the Big Scary Show is back with another episode to help you thaw out those ideas for the new coming haunt season you gotta get ready for. And boy, do we got some great stuff for you this episode. Uh, First of all, we have Badger with Deadline News, so you'll find out everything that's going on in the industry, all the big news points and stuff you need to know. Uh, In addition... Badger will be going to the Oddities and Curiosities Expo right in Charlotte. And he's going to have some awesome interviews from the show floor, find out what's going on and, you know, what macabre things can, you know, you tap into for your haunt this year. Additionally, Meat Hook Jim is back and um, he's going to, he wants you to shackle up because you're going to jail in between the corpses. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Storm's got an interesting twist to go green. He he wants you to start haunting for hippies. So you don't want to miss that in Haunt Minute this episode. And Jonah the Old Crone discuss business structures and ask the Old Crone. So find out a lot more with that. And a, a great point and something to really think about with your haunt and make sure you have the right structure for what you want to do. 
Uh, in addition, we have all kinds of funs and surprises. But of course, what's back this week? The Roundtable of Terror. As always, our hosts uh, have a great guest this time. This time, it's Drew Hunter from Sally Dark Rides. Now, you may think that Dark Rides are just a thing of the past. Well, this discussion might change your mind on that. Find out how this is actually a pretty innovative um, aspect of the haunted attraction industry and even other industries right now. And, you know, they're making a big comeback. It's not just something of the past. But we'll discuss the history and uh, where Dark Rides are going now and, and some of the innovations that they're doing right now, too. Great conversation on this episode's Roundtable of Terror. We got some awesome music to keep you in the Halloween spirit, gruesome giveaway information, and a lot more fun and surprises all throughout this episode. Big Scary Show, episode 284, starts right now. A new dimension in shock, like spending a night in the grave. Three of the most macabre experiences ever put on film. Witness the bone-crushing terror in... The Corpse Grinders! Plus... Sinister and terrifying, The Undertaker and his pals. Fiendish and petrifying, The Embalmer. Due to the highly intense and sinister nature of this program, the producers insist that every person in attendance personally sign a certificate of assurance before being admitted into the theater, certifying each patron of sound mind and body, and that in the event of a coronary insanity or death suffered due to the program, the producers or theater cannot be held liable in any way. Certificates will be handed out for your signing prior to ticket purchase at the box office by special uniformed attendants. A nurse is in attendance at the theater, providing free blood pressure tests to anyone requesting such. The Corpse Grinders! Undertaker and his pals, and the embalmer, the shock of your life. Looking to step up your costume? CFX products perform in every environment. Film, haunted attractions, stage shows, theme parks, cosplay, and good old-fashioned Halloween. Created for realism and comfort from the number one company leading the industry for over 16 years, a CFX silicone mask isn't finished until you put it on. Whatever your needs, CFX has you covered with silicone. And once you put it on, you too will agree that a CFX mask will be the most comfortable rubber you'll ever wear. Find your new face today at cfxmasks.com, cfxmasks.com. Broadcasting to you from the darkest regions of the earth, this is A Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so the other day I was having a discussion with some people about, you know, those Funko Pops, which are being tossed into a landfill, you know, about $30 million worth, because it's a write-off, and, you know, they made too many of too many things, and none of people are buying them because, well, they're Funko Pops. And, uh, you know, the conversation turned to recycling them. And then out of the blue, out of nowhere, somebody goes, you know what, this, this, 
there's no haunts that uh, are environmentally friendly. There's, there's no haunts for hippies. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. <clears throat> Actually, we have hit that market pretty well with haunts. We just don't advertise it well enough. If you think about it, haunts are very green and very hippie friendly. Uh, first of all, we have corn mazes. We don't have wheat mazes. So, you know, haunts are naturally gluten-free. That's always good. And, um, you know, we recycle so much stuff. You are always recycling sets and props and, and redoing them that way. So that's perfect. Uh, and zombies, well, zombies are perfect because they uh, leave no carbon footprint. You know, they, they, they get out of the grave. So they, you know, free up all that green space. Uh you know, that was being used by graveyards, and they're all pedestrians. They don't drive around to leave a big carbon footprint, so zombies are very environmentally friendly on that, too. So it's just a matter of us, you know, having to market it a little bit better and, and just pushing the, the better of the, you know, green stuff. I've been telling people, you know, you got to promote your haunt and do your haunt for Arbor Day. you got all these Valentine's Day haunts and Christmas haunts and spring break haunts and Halloween haunts, you know. Why not Arbor Day? So push it. We got that whole market out there. Hit the hippie market. See what's green about your gluten-free, you know, low-carbon footprint zombie haunted attraction. And, and get the word out there because hippies need to be scared too. Until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunted Minute. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com.
Good evening. My name is Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete, the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. <laughs> see you soon at vfxcreates.com. Music by Midnight Syndicate. And ladies and gentlemen, let's see if you are listening carefully to the show because it is time for the March Gruesome Giveaway sponsored by our very good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. Time to get on over to ScreamlineStudios.com and start your pre-Halloween shopping now. Or, if you're lucky, you might win a fantastic prize from them this month courtesy of our giveaway. Here's how it works. I'm going to ask you a question. The answer is in the show. Send us an email with that answer along with your name and number to bsscontest at gmail.com before midnight on March 20th, and you may be randomly selected to be the winner. Now, without further ado, the question for the month of March gruesome giveaway is... During my interview with Petunia from Gravestone Girls, she mentions that she has two new items for sale at her booth. What are those two items? And here's a hint. One of them is a family business. If you think you know the answer to that, send us that answer along with your name and phone number to bsscontest at gmail.com before midnight on Monday March 20th, and we will randomly select someone to be the March Gruesome Giveaway winner. Previous winners and family members of The Big Scary Show are not eligible to win, and of course, we want to thank our great friends at ScreamlineStudios.com for providing these great prizes every single month. Good luck, everyone, and get those entries in. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We're live at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a couple of years ago, I met this person at this very same expo, although at a different location. She is with Gravestone Girls. Gravestone Girls actually was one of our Halloween shows a couple of years back. She does very interesting tombstone art that's cast from original tombstones up in the northeastern part of the country around Massachusetts, etc., and has just this huge, vast wealth of knowledge regarding tombstone and cemetery culture. I've got Petunia here. How are you? I'm fabulous. Good to see you again. It's been a long time, but and you know, you've got people wandering around your booth checking all the cool things out. If you missed the Halloween show, tell us a little bit about what Gravestone Girls does. You kind of preserve a lot of these very ancient, like 17th, 18th century tombstones, though, which I guess the majority of are up in the uh, northeast part of the country. Indeed. So we are, Gregson Girls are cemetery artists and historians. Uh, we make replicas. That's what brings us to these kind of markets, the oddities and curiosities here in Charlotte and some of the other ones. Uh, we make replicas of original colonial New England tombstones. So I have an art history and restoration background. I developed a process I can safely take into the cemetery because I do make contact with the stones to collect the art. And once I've collected it, then I can bring it home and replicate it from there. Uh, everything is indeed from New England. Uh, we're one of the oldest parts of the country. And uh, 
definitely this kind of primitive imagery is on stones from the late 1600s and into the 1700s. We've got pieces that hang on the wall, magnets that make your fridge happy, coasters, pin boards, frames. Uh, we're debuting two really new and cool things at this, at this oddities market. Um, we have mini tombstone jewelry created in a collaboration with our friends uh, Sarah Amendola from Mockingbird Lane Artistries. She has taken some of my small designs and made them even smaller. <laughs> she has then cast them and silver plated and electroplated them so you can wear them gorgeously around your neck and earrings too. Um, and also we are debuting our chocolate oh tombstone chocolate. <laughs> I promise you it's delicious. And, and I'm sure it's calorie-free, right? It is. It <laughs> is. My family made it. We're their fourth-generation chocolatiers. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it's totally calorie-free. But if, if you say delicious. it, I have to believe it, of course. But uh, some of this artwork is, you know, like you said, it's primitive, but it's very beautiful, and it's very different. You know, you've probably seen these images if you go up to Salem and you go to do some... You know, ghost tours around Boston and all those things. And really anywhere in New England. Right. You'd be hard-pressed to not find this kind of imagery in New England because of our age and uh, because of the the folks that that settled up there. They're at the time they're very religious. They're very superstitious. They're really they really life is really hard. uh, And it's about the care and feeding of the immortal soul. (laughs) Uh, I call it a scared straight program. Which is why there are skulls and bones and all kinds of things on these old tombstones to remind the living at that time period, uh, the dead reminding the living about their mortality and their morality. And what you did here determined whether you went up north at the end or down south to the warmer climates. Well, we are down south here in Charlotte, and uh, you know we have a little bit of old history, especially down near the coast, but nothing like this. I mean... Uh, a question, I guess, I don't think I asked you on the roundtable when you did the show with us. Was there, like, a particular artist or two that people sought out when they died? If some, Was there a predominant tombstone carver in Boston when a, when a family member died? They want that type of skull and wings or that kind of angel on their tombstone? Or was it just the local guy was trained in the art of tombstone carving? Uh, actually, both. So you had, they call them the Boston Carvers, so there's a number of them working at the time, uh, late 1600s and into the 1700s, usually multiple generations, sometimes three or four generations in a family that carry on. And there were also uh, people doing it as a sort of secondary vocation. So you might have somebody that's a a stonemason or a... um, Even maybe somebody like a shoemaker, somebody that's familiar with patterns... And, and would undertake the job of creating tombstones. Uh, I want to make sure that you all know you've got some really fabulous cemeteries down here. Um, I can't remember the name of the one here in Charlotte. I think it's Elmwood. Elmwood yes. Yeah, oh my God, it's fabulous. It, including it has some interesting stuff. Including a, a stone for somebody that was trampled by an elephant. Yep. I love that one. We have someone killed by a lion. Yes. I think George Jessel's buried out there, I think, and among uh, other people. I believe so. Um, and also out, a little tiny town out in the western part of the state called Abbott's Creek. You've got some really unusual soapstone tombstones that were actually not just carved on the faces but cut through so they're pierced and they are spectacular and they are completely uh completely unique to north carolina sounds fascinating i'm gonna have to go visit visit up there road trip 
Oh, yeah. And my daughter lives in Asheville, so going up to the mountains and things is always always fun in the western part of the state. Now, you know, uh, some of the new stuff you've got here, or, or I guess everything you've got here, you have a little bit of history on the back of all of this. You tell who yeah. this was, who the uh, tombstone was carved from. I guess dates, names of dates, birth, death, and all that kind of stuff. Does that come with every purchase so that person does get a little bit of information and history about what they're buying? It does, even right down to the chocolate. <laughs> so that we we really think that the history is just as important as the art. So that history tag, it's a little tag, but we cram a lot of information in there. Name of the person, name and location of the graveyard, uh, both city and state, and um, and information about the symbol as well. If you live in the Northeast, you may be familiar with these spaces, and maybe you want know something about them and you want to learn more. And if you're not from around the area, you're not from the Northeast, you don't know what this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time we move out of the Northeast, we go west and we come south, uh, the icon, the kind of iconography that's on these colonial New England tombstones, the the, the religiosity of it, uh, and the, the really religious fervor has gone by, and the symbols have, there's they still continue to be on the tombstones, but they're very very different than what we see in the colonial period up north. And now I'm assuming everybody nowadays just does laser etching and, and stuff like that. I've seen some very creative tombstones out there in the in the last few years, you know, but but nothing compared to this. There are a number of people that we know that do carve traditional styles in slate, and they are mostly located up north, uh, but they're accessible all over the country. Um, For a while, modern tombstones were pretty boring. They were just names and dates. Uh, And with with the rise in popularity of the black granite material, it really lends itself to pictures. So done by laser, often also done by uh, by hand. People with diamond tip tools, very talented, oh, wow. etching images, etching pictures into into the stones. I, I think I, I, when people don't really understand what I'm trying to communicate in that, I, I, I use the analogy of um, if you go to the bakery and you want to have a, a picture printed on your birthday cake yeah. it's it looks like that it's a different process sure but it it looks like that and good analogy now people really have an opportunity modern people have an opportunity to say who they are what they did while they were here whether it's their profession their hobbies i've seen all kinds of stuff i've seen second homes i see everybody's pets <laughs> um i've seen their motorcycles and their their speedboats and their classic cars and all what kinds of love. stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's really a way to meet people that you would have existed contemporaneously with, but yet not been able to meet because, sure. you know, pesky space-time <laughs> limitations. Absolutely. Now, I know you've got some people here that are wandering through the booth, so I'm going to let you go back here. For people wanting information on Gravestone Girls, maybe you're interested in purchasing some of this art. This would make a fantastic gift. For the historian friend or anybody that likes, you know, cemeteries and cemetery art, some of this stuff is just absolutely gorgeous, and most of it is based off of three, four hundred, maybe even five hundred year old technology out there. How can people get information, see what you have, get history lessons, see what what this angel means, what this skull wearing a hat means, what this. Um, you know, the wings mean and all that. How can they do that with websites and social media? Sure. We are omnipresent. Uh, Gravestonegirls.com. You can shop the website, but we also have a lot of information about 
preservation, about carvers. We've got a lot of great links to, to for further information about symbols and, and meanings and geology. We really try to be educational. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. So Excellent. Gravestonegirls.com, Petunia. Always a pleasure to see you again. Good I'm, to I'm see you, wishing Jim. nothing but success at this show and the others that you're attending at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo this weekend in Charlotte, next weekend. Who knows? Check their website. I'm Drew Badger for The Big Scary Show, and we're out. Spectral Illusions is a digital production studio creating video effects for your home or pro haunt. They carry over 30 stock videos ready for immediate download, as well as USB drives preloaded with multiple effects. In partnership with AAXA Technologies, they now carry projectors preloaded with multiple effects. And now Big Scary Show listeners can get 15% off downloads, USBs, and screens with code BIGSCARY15. Projectors not included. Visit SpectralIllusions.com and add some life to your haunt. That's SpectralIllusions.com. Sam Haynes, Sam Haynes, Sam Haynes, Catacombs,
Hello, everybody. This is Drew Badger, and this is the Deadline News for episode 284. And unfortunately, we're going to start off with some sad news from one of our own. This comes to us via the original Hollywood horror show Haunted Attraction in Snow Camp, North Carolina. With much sadness, we report that Raymond F. Bud Williams Jr. has passed from cancer at the age of 61. He played the iconic Michael Myers character for many years, a great veteran actor who loved the show and all the cast and crew, and we were proud to have him as part of the horror show family for 25 years. He leaves behind two daughters, one son, and six grandchildren, and will be greatly missed. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Bud Williams and offers up this moment of silence. On a lighter note, we have this news from the Dark Hour Haunted Attraction in Plano, Texas. We're now hiring for the 2023 season. Do you fancy yourself a scare actor? Or do you think of yourself as an entertainer, a spooky storyteller, or just a plain old monster? Whatever your flavor, Dark Hour Haunted House is now hiring engaging people to fill a variety of roles. Some performance roles may involve scripted dialogue, guest interaction, improvisation, or stunts. All performers must be comfortable working in tight spaces with loud noises and theatrical strobe and fog effects. We're also hiring self-motivated and outgoing individuals who can make professional, guest-centered choices while assisting in duties that support the customer experience. Come join us all in the haunted fun. Fill out an application at darkhourhauntedhouse.com employment. We have this from the Tales of Terror Haunted Attraction in Orlando, Florida. Come join us for an Irish family fun night market filled with Irish folklore and an optional, very scary haunted experience. Leprechaun's Curse, possession of Rose O'Brien's St. Patrick's Weekend on March 18th from 7 to 11 p.m. If you would like to vend, contact us through our Facebook or Instagram pages or email terror at gmail.com. We're located at the Warrior Sports Park in Orlando. Get more information at talesofterrorhaunt.com. We have an update from the Creature Feature Weekend coming to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Joining us for Creature Feature Weekend this March 17th through the 19th will be Tim Balmy from Peter Jackson's cult classic, Dead Alive. Tim will not only be doing an in-costume photo op, but he has polymer lawnmower blades for your horror collection. They're limited to 100, individually numbered, and labeled as first edition, so make sure to grab one before they're gone. This amazing item will be $50 signed and $30 unsigned. We'll see you all at Creature Feature Weekend, March 17th through the 19th. Get more information at CreatureFeatureWeekend.com. We have this update from the Motor City Legacy Horror Convention and Film Festival coming to Romulus, Michigan. We have an official guest announcement. Let's all welcome Stephen Kostansky to Motor City Legacy Horror Convention and Film Festival. Stephen, making his first ever convention appearance in the U.S., is the writer and director of the insane cult film Psycho Goreman. He also has both written and directed The Void, Manborg, Father's Day, and directed Leprechaun Returns. 
four episodes of Sci-Fi's Day of the Dead, as well as segments for VHS 94 and ABC's of Death 2. The talent doesn't stop at writing and directing, though. He's also an accomplished special makeup FX artist from It, Suicide Squad, Hannibal, Star Trek Discovery, and The Last of Us are just a few of the film and TV projects under his belt. Happening April 14th through the 16th, get more information at MotorCityLegacy.com. We have this from the Field of Screams Haunted Attraction in Mountville, Pennsylvania. When it comes to terrifying thrills and spine-tingling chills, Field of Screams will give you more than you can handle. Returning for 2023, there's no better way to celebrate St. Patty's Day than by being at Field of Screams on Saturday, March 18th. So grab your friends and experience St. Patrick's Day with a demented Field of Screams twist. Experience Field of Screams in an all-new way with our uniquely themed building decor, scenes, and characters specially created for St. Patty's Day only. Our band of evil leprechauns and sinister trolls will be just part of the mayhem of characters just dying to add some mischief to your life. Purchase your tickets now and be one of the first to experience this new Field of Screams show for yourself. Field of Screams provides the ultimate in atmosphere. Get more information and tickets at fieldofscreams.com. We have this from the Frightmare Haunted Attraction in Chesapeake, Virginia. Frightmare presents a Leprechaun's Revenge. Just try to hold on to your gold. Wear some green, holler and scream. Have you got the guts to experience Leprechaun's Revenge? Happening March 17th and 18th. Get more information at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash experience frightmare. We have this news from the Nightmare Dungeon Haunted Attraction in Greenville, South Carolina. Are you looking for some scares this St. Patrick's holiday? Test your luck with three Nights of Terror, March 17th through the 19th at Nightmare Dungeon Haunted Attraction in Greenville, South Carolina. Find your way out of this old cabin, and you'll never know where the creeps are watching you inside. You don't have to be Irish to attend this one-of-a-kind haunted attraction, but you may wish you had a little bit of that old Irish luck on your side as you navigate through, hands down, South Carolina's scariest haunted attraction. Get more info on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Nightmare Dungeon. We have an update from Crypticon coming to Seattle. Uh, We have a new celebrity guest announcement. Crypticon Seattle is delighted to welcome the voice of the Crypt Keeper himself and the Big Scary Show, John Kassir, to the convention this May 19th through the 21st. In addition to starring in Tales of the Crypt television series, John has also lent his vocal talents to Tiny Toon Adventures, Pocahontas, Eek the Cat, The Simpsons, Rocket Power, and many more television and film projects. John was very sad not to be able to join us last year, so we're thrilled he can make it this year. Get more information at CrypticonSeattle.com. And finally, we have this update from Midsummer Scream coming to Long Beach, California. Midsummer Scream is proud to announce our featured guests, the Boulay Brothers, who most of you know from the number one hit streaming show on Shudder and AMC's Boulay Brothers Dragula. The Queens of Darkness will be on the show floor throughout the weekend. Come meet them at the Boulay Brothers Dragula Boudoir set, recreated exclusively for Midsummer Scream. 
The interactive booth will feature drag horror makeup demos, meet and greets, and photo ops with cast members and exclusive merchandise. The modern day horror host will also be presenting panels on both Saturday and Sunday, details to be announced later. Midsummer Scream returns to the Long Beach Convention Center July 28th through the 30th. Passes are on sale now, and general admission will be 40% off for a limited time. Details at midsummerscream.org. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, Email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home haunt or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We're live at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo down here in my hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. Walking around, seeing all the vendors and everything. It's Sunday morning, getting ready to open the doors. It was a very busy Saturday. And one of the people that was probably very busy was Pickled Punks. The guy makes custom artwork, banners, t-shirts, zines, coloring books, all kinds of cool stuff. Out of Syracuse, New York, I got Isaac here. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. You? Oh, it was busy. It was busy here yesterday. A lot of people walking around. Several thousand, I would guess. I don't know, but it was great. So uh, tell us a little bit about what Pickled Punks is. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this. I see a definite sideshow vibe as far as, you know, banners and things like this. You've got some really cute ideas here with some, well, let's just say some different takes on some well-known horror characters and, and other things. Sure. Yeah, so originally I started off as a pop culture artist. So I would draw stuff like me, you know, like just for example, like X-Men or Spider-Man and stuff like that. And then I dabbled and I drew a, uh, I like Sideshow, I drew a Fiji Mermaid, and then I drew a Jackalope and everybody went crazy over it. So I started running with the Sideshow stuff, getting away from as much pop culture stuff, um, and then I started making plushies and putting them in mason, mason jars, which are like a pickled punks, you know, kind of oh, okay. like the fetus in jars. So I would say they were my pickled punks, decided I liked the name, been running with it now for about seven years. Um, got, I, I do a little bit of pop culture stuff again, I mix the cats with the slasher <laughs> icons, but other than that, pretty much everything's my own thing. Everybody has to have the cats, you know, especially these days. Yeah, people are obsessed with cats. I never thought I'd become like this cat artist, but... You're a crazy cat artist now. I am, yeah. (laughs) And then that turned out, you know, people seen so many cats turned into dogs, and I have all these dog drawings too. But I still draw cryptids and other creatures as well. Yeah, I'm looking up here. It looks like a, a, a Sasquatch over here. You've got Michael Meowers, of course, and, and Kitten Face, and some, and they're all done up like you know old style carnival sideshow banners, which I really like. How how have people taken to these? Uh, really good. Like I said, seven <laughs> years full time as an artist isn't wow. isn't the easiest thing to do, and I make a, a decent living at it. Um, I really I went, I went to school for marketing, so I try to keep that in the back of my head. And one of the things I noticed with a lot of successful artists is they're really unified with their just their branding and their aesthetic. So I decided to stick with the sideshow kind of style for most of my product line. I've drawn probably hundreds of these now at this point. So it's almost like 
a big collectible card, essentially, like a Garbage Pail Kids or something like that. Have you ever thought about, like, coming out with, like, one special card per year and then just say, I'm never making this again, therefore increasing its collectability and and people buying it? I've debated that. I I came from, before I started doing my my own branding, I was really in the gallery scene, so I did a lot of limited edition stuff. And, you know, so everything would be signed and numbered, like screen prints and stuff like that. But then I had the bright idea. I'm like, you know, that stuff sold. It's cool for collectors. But what if I just left everything open-ended? And so I would just sell. It would go from selling 100 to thousands throughout the longevity of the print. Um, I might do some limited edition stuff. I'm always coming out with new stuff. I mean, every... Almost every show I have a new a new design just because I'm a psycho. So I'm always, <laughs> just since um, th- my last show at the end of last year, I probably have like 10 new images nice. that I've developed. So Well, psycho's good in this industry too. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I, I see like Cthulhu here. I, I see you've got Point Pleasant, Mothman, West Virginia shirt type stuff here. Mm-hmm. Do you do shirts like that for like festivals, like like the Mothman Festival or, um, or things like that? I, so the reason I have all the Mothman stuff is I do their festival. Um, so I, I do a lot of Mothman stuff. I my, The shirts were selling so well at his museum because he started carrying my stuff that I designed a Mothman Museum t-shirt. I have some other stuff in the works. I, I would like to do more stuff like that, but unfortunately they all don't run their... Those museums aren't ran as well as Jeff runs the Mothman Museum. <laughs> he, he's so good at branding. It's it's insane. Um, there's a couple other things I got in the works. There's a, a, a YouTuber that I, oddly enough, kind of lives near me now that travel. I don't want to give away too much, but travels all around the country. And has a really good following, and he's always wearing my shirts in his videos. So I saw him at one of these oddity shows randomly walking around. I'm like, we need to talk. <laughs> so I got something that works with him, Excellent. which would be pretty cool. You know, I'm always up for stuff if it makes sense. Uh, the um, Harry and Harry 2s in um, where is that? South Carolina, home of the Lizard Man. Yes. Uh, they were carrying my sh- some of my shirts for a little bit. I did a Lizard Man shirt. I'm trying to think of some other places. Some of the odd, you know, there's different oddity places that will carry some of my spook right. show stuff and things like that, but... There you go. And, and speaking of oddities, you're one of what we would call the traveling people. You do attend more than one show. You're not based locally here. You do kind of go from city to city. Yeah, I call myself a traveling art carny. <laughs> I've been living right now. I've been out since uh, before Atlanta. It's been we're going to go on two weeks on the road. After the show, I'm going to ha- start heading home, try to get a little closer, and then I'll be home tomorrow. So. Well, there you go. You know, nice to get home and uh, maybe start working on some of this other yeah. stuff. Until the next one. <laughs> yeah, until the next one. So for people wanting more information about Pickled Punks, maybe you have a, a, a thing for the Mothman, or maybe you like, you know, Cthulhu's drawn in a sideshow style, or, you know, cats, and, you know, who doesn't love cats on the Internet and stuff like that these days? Is there a website or social media where people can get more information, see your things, purchase, and maybe find out what other shows you're attending with the Oddities Expo? Yeah, so my website is uh, pickledpunksplush.com. And then if you want to see what I'm up to, I'm on Instagram the most, and that's the Pickled Punk Show. And I'm always posting updates, you know, what events I'm going to be at, images I'm working on, and things like that. Very nice. So pickledpunksplush.com for everything. Isaac, a pleasure to speak to you here at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo. I'm glad you're having a great show. We we still have another one here because this is one of those rare two-day shows happening this year. But we're enjoying ourselves down here at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo here in Charlotte, North Carolina. My name is Drew Badger for The Big Scary Show, and we're out. The Roundtable of Terror is very proudly sponsored by HauntPay. Whether it's time ticketing, virtual queue lines, or anything else related to online ticket sales, have Alex and his staff set you up at hauntpay.com. 
And ladies and gentlemen, that music you hear does once again signify the Round Table of Terror is here, brought to you very proudly by Haunt Pay. Thank you very much, Haunt Pay, for helping continue the Round Table of Terror's journey throughout the haunted attraction business. And speaking of the haunted attraction business, possibly many of you as children or other had experienced your very first haunted attraction. Maybe the local haunted house at your local county fair, state fair, or amusement park. I remember very vividly going to the North Carolina State Fair in Raleigh as a kid and just being absolutely fascinated by the artwork on the haunted houses with the scantily clad women being thrown out of windows by monsters and men with their shirts ripped off fighting evil monsters with knives and things. And it was just a fascinating, fascinating bit of artwork that was very different from the usual, you know, Ferris wheels and bumper cars and things like that. Those were my very first experiences with dark rides And I'm sure many of you probably went to your very first haunted attraction in the form of a dark ride. You know, they've been around for over a century. They are a classic part of not just American history, but world history. There are dark rides all over the the globe. And we thought we'd bring back somebody who knows a little bit about some dark rides. Some of you may remember this interview from IAPA. Several months ago, we met a Mr. Drew Hunter from Sally Dark Rides down in Jacksonville, Florida. We had a lovely conversation, and I told him we would bring him back. So we are bringing back Drew Hunter, great name, from Jacksonville, Florida, with Sally Dark Rides. We're going to find out exactly what they do, because apparently the dark ride industry is still very much alive and kicking. Drew, how are you, sir? I'm superb. And uh, you all are well, I assume? As far as I know, we are here, and it appears spring is happening down here. But let's introduce our other hosts. Up in Warwick, Rhode Island, we have Storm, who probably grew up riding dark rides in Wildwood or Seaside Heights down on the Jersey Shore. Yep, greetings. And yeah, about the closest thing they've had to a dark ride in Rhode Island for the past 30 years is a bad commute in the Providence. (laughs) Down in Cincinnati, Ohio, home of Kings Island, which does have a dark ride, we have Meat Hook Jim. Uh, Yes, but as a child, uh, of course, Disney's Haunted Mansion from the age of six. That kind of really got me into the whole haunting thing. Very nice. And way out in Fayetteville, Arkansas, not known for dark rides, but who used to go and visit Fire in the Hole at Silver Dollar City, we have the old crone, a.k.a. Jonna. (laughs) rest in peace there you go going away last year we'll see my name is drew badger in charlotte north carolina as i said i got my start at dark rides at the north carolina state fair they actually used to terrify me to a point but i was again fascinated by the artwork and i was too scared to go in them but anyway drew um for the people who may not know maybe some people from areas where they don't exist what exactly is a dark ride? That, interestingly enough, I get asked very frequently. And uh, basically and simply, a dark ride is the industry term for any kind of an attraction 
where you're in some sort of a mobile vehicle. It could be a little jalopy. It could be a pirate ship flying. It could be a boat in water, anything like that, that goes through an environmentally controlled and theatrically controlled uh, environment, such as um, the Haunted Mansion, but also it's a small world as a dark ride, and it's not scary. It's very pretty, very colorful. There are educational dark rides. There are funny dark rides. There are children's dark rides. is every kind you can think of, but the industry term is dark ride, and that is because when these rides were first originated, the uh, the vehicle, a little vehicle on a low voltage track, would go into a room which was all black, tar- dark, totally dark, and something would pop out of the darkness. A buzzer here and a siren there and a whammo there and a noise here, and something would light up, usually some sort of a Halloween mask behind a chicken wire box, and uh, would, would startle you, or that was the intent. But it was dark. And that name stuck. So that's that's why we call them dark rides. Well, I, I would slightly disagree with you with uh, It's a Small World not being, if nothing else, creepy at best. Would you like me especially, to sing it for you? No. Especially when, you know, I, I have been stuck on that ride where it, it just stopped and you had to listen to the incessant singing for about 15 minutes before we got moving again. But uh, the the nightmares still persist. But we yeah, were, we you get that music stuck in your head. That's a nightmare. Yeah, we're we're gonna move on from that real quick. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what you're saying is, you know, a, or as you just mentioned, is dark rides are not necessarily haunted rides. They are they are entertaining rides, which is something I I actually did not know. I mean, I sort of understood the concept, but uh, that's fascinating. And and you mentioned the Haunted Mansion, and so did Meat Hook Jim. Is that arguably the most famous dark ride in the world? It probably is that and Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Which is also not, well, there are skeletons in it at the beginning, but it's not really haunted. It's not trying to scare you. Uh, but uh, that and Pirates of the Caribbean and the other one you mentioned, the ride that we shall not mention again, uh, is uh, <laughs> is is uh, is also one of the arguably most famous. So, but there are so many that are so well known around the world, and, and I guess not just in the United States. I assume oh, no. that they are there are you know some that are just incredibly famous in Germany or Italy or Australia, absolutely, or, or places like that that we may not have even heard of. Sometime, if you go on uh, go on YouTube or. Uh, uh, look up uh, on Google just dark rides and start going through videos, you will see dark rides from every corner of the planet just about. Uh, and some that I, I find new ones all the time that I've never heard of. What is uh, some of the history of dark rides? I mean, I, I know they've been around for years and years and years. You, you hear about them, you know, 1920s, Coney Island, Silver Pier, that kind of stuff. Is that where they got their start, or was it something else? That's pretty well. Yeah, there were there were dark attractions at Coney Island, and that not necessarily rides, although some were. But uh, I think you could trace a lot of it back to the old mill rides, where you would get in a boat and float through a dark environment, and there would be scenes. Sometimes they'd be scary scenes. Sometimes they'd just be just scenes of, of you know frontier scenes or this or that or the other, and and people would uh, float through. It would give people a chance to cool off from the hot weather. It would give people a chance to um, 
do a bit of spooning on the ride and uh, have that for an old term. And um, uh, so the old uh, float through, and there still are some old mills out there, still authentic old ones. Well, that developed into, into uh, uh, rides which, are, which were known very often as laugh in the dark, laugh in the dark rides. And those are the ones, they had no story. They had no real plot. They had, it was just a series of events in the ride that would surprise you usually. And usually those were uh, uh, trying to either make you laugh or scream or jump as you went through. And then when you talk about development of dark rides, Disney, again, being such an innovative uh, genius, he and his, his people, his artists and creative people, when they decided to do Disneyland, they put in three dark rides, Snow White, Peter Pan, and Mr. Toad, that in the original Disneyland, which opened in 1955. Those were uh, just about, as far as I know, three of the first rides that were, that were based on other sources. Those were based on um, uh, literary sources, fairy tales and such. And they more or less told a little story. They were also some of the first dark rides to use black light, ultraviolet illumination. Hmm. I, I actually remember Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I wrote, I was down, you know, maybe 1976, 77 or something in Disney World. I think it was still in existence, and that one's been gone a long time. <laughs> I went on uh, Mr. Toad uh, at Disney World uh, the day before it closed, and we did not know it was going to close. Went on it, went, decided, let's go, let's go do Mr. Toad again right before we leave the park. And we did, and the next day, it was history. Wow. What year was that? That was a, gosh, that was in the late 90s, mm -hmm. maybe 98 or so. Um, one time um, I was back down there on business uh, and I went up to the construction wall. They were putting in the, the Winnie the Pooh ride. Yes, the Winnie the Pooh ride. And, <laughs> mm -hmm, and uh, uh, they had the construction wall up. And I uh, leaned up against the construction wall. And my associate, my colleague, took a photograph of me. And I was lying there in, in bereavement with my hand on my forehead, leaning against the wall in misery because they've, take out, they've taken out Mr. Toad. Well, when we got the picture back, there was a light refraction from the sun with a little beam of light coming right down over me, wow. right down over me. And I went, wow. So I sent that picture in and a letter to the then the Disney magazine saying, I'm so sad that this ride is gone, but I know that Disney has plans for some great things, and this is the ray of hope. It was, you know, and they printed it in the magazine. <laughs> they printed that in the magazine. So, yeah, Mr. Toad, great ride. Oh, it was destiny for you, wasn't it? I'm sorry? It was destiny for you, wasn't I it? So. I guess so. I guess so. So tell us a little bit about what Sally Dark Rides does. I mean, I assume that you you build dark rides across the world, but I assume it's also much more bigger than that. That's pretty much it. Well, we... The, <laughs> the, the, I, Next that, question. That is our focus and our mission, to be the best uh, dark ride supplier on the planet. And uh, the company is 45 years old. It did not begin by doing dark rides. It began by doing animated mannequins to help sell products. That eventually went into more animatronic characters. That went into bear bands and dog bands for Chuck E. Cheese's and show, 
Showtime pizza places uh, across, across the continent. Then we got into more animatronic characters and finally into the dark ride world in the 19, really in the night, seriously, in the 1990s. Only a few years ago, changed the name of the company from Sally Corporation to Sally Dark Rides. So we would have a firm identity in the, in the industry. And let's just say that you have a park. Let's say that you have an amusement park or a theme park and you have a building. Uh, or maybe you don't have a building, but you want to put in a dark ride. You can call us, call Sally. We will produce a turnkey dark ride for you to fit your needs. We will come up with story if you need it. We'll come up with the route, the characters, the mechanics, the, uh, the um, electronics, you name it. We don't supply the building. You would supply the building, whether it's an existing building or a new one. And uh, But we would bring everything in. Ride system. We, now, we do not build the ride systems. We, we buy those from other sources. But we buy them from various sources, you know, in Europe and in America. But uh, we would supply a turnkey product for you. From inception, if you need that, all the way through installation and opening day. Very nice. I, I saw you at IAPA. And uh, you had this amazing for lack of a better word, a witch outside a door. And you told me then that that was going to a, a, I believe it was a dark ride in the state of Maine, if I was correct on that. That is correct. That's going to Funtown, Splashtown, USA, in Saco, Maine, southern part of Maine, uh, on the coast, near the coast. And uh, it's called the Haunted Hotel. Brand new dark ride, top to bottom. There's not another one like it. And her name that witch, that old crone, the old conjure woman is named Miss Lilith. And Miss Lilith. I, think I knew her. <laughs> and yeah, Miss Lilith is going to be quite a hit. You'll see her in the ride. But the ride is much more than that. And it has a little story, a background story to the ride. And it is also interactive. But it's, uh, it's going to be a very beautiful ride. Very, uh, very well appointed. A lot of video effects in it and other special effects. So yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be opening up... Uh, Beginning of the summer. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, You've answered a lot of the stuff I was going to ask you about as far as, you know, customization and things like that. But what I guess the question would be, what does it take in order to design and and create an actual dark ride? I mean, what do you need from the the customer? What do you already have in mind? Do you have like a, a row of ideas that you pitch to people? How, how does a dark ride get created, that's for a, lack of a better word? Yeah, that's a very wide-ranging question, so I'll just rattle on for just a minute. Uh, <laughs> um, it de- again, it, it depends on what the client wants, meaning a client may come to us with a very distinct idea of what they want, or they may have an a, um, intellectual property that they want to base a ride on. Uh, that we would, uh, We've done that with... Um, uh, uh, Hershey Park, and a number of others. Or sometimes a client will come to us with a kind of a basic idea of what they want to do, but they don't know what they want to do. They don't know how to manifest this into a dark ride attraction. For example, um, a number many years ago, um, Holiday World came to us, and they were putting in a new area in their park for Thanksgiving, and they wanted a Thanksgiving dark ride. And that was a real challenge 
because how do you do a Thanksgiving dark ride? And, and we went through all kinds of ideas. Uh, I went up and presented a whole bunch of them to the, to the, uh, the, the, their, their uh, VIPs and uh, the owners of the park and so on. And um, we had a couple of, they had a couple of, uh, a couple of criteria. One was that if we used turkeys, we couldn't shoot them because it was going to be an interactive ride. And we didn't want turkeys being eat for, eaten for, <laughs> for Thanksgiving. So anyway, came up with a ride based on, uh, based on those criteria. And it's been a hit and it's still running to this day. It's called Gobbler Getaway. Gobbler Getaway. And you don't have a gun. You have a turkey call. And you go out looking for the turkeys that have escaped from Farmer Van Snoodle's uh, turkey farm and get them back in time for uh, in time for Thanksgiving. But the turkeys are all pardoned. The uh, the family farmer Van Snoodle and his wife and kid lift up a platter and you see they're eating a big veggie pizza instead of turkey. And then the ride ends with a song and dance scene uh, a la Busby Berkeley of um, turkeys singing and dancing with top hats and canes. <laughs> it's pretty off the wall. I must know where this is. <laughs> it's Holiday World in Santa Claus, uh, Indiana. The, the very southern part of, uh, is not too far from Evansville. Oh, my God. I'm going to be in that area later this year. <sighs> a beautiful, it's a beautiful park. Beautiful countryside. Great. It's a privately run park. Uh, there's only one. They have a Christmas section, a Halloween section, and a, I think, a Fourth of July section, and this Thanksgiving section. I am so going to visit that later this year if I can. Oh my God, that's brilliant! <laughs> it's so much fun. It's a it's a very cartoony ride, very cartoony, very. Uh, it's all black light. And when you say things are interactive, you know, I I live near Carowinds, which is a a big theme park on the North Carolina South Carolina border, and we have, I believe, it's called Boo Blasters, where we get in a cart and we're given these little guns that shoot like infrared. Yep. And, we, and we shoot at ghosts. And that's, that's about as interactive as I'm thinking things are. And it oh. basically you know, gives you a score. But, but how do you interact with a turkey call, for one? I mean, do the turkeys pop out if you call them or thing? But, but how, do, how do other interactive things work? Well, you- first of all, the ride you mentioned, the Boo Blasters, is a version of our Ghost Blasters ride, which I designed back in 1998 for Lake Compounds up in Connecticut. Uh, we opened two of those rides, one at Lake Compounds and one in the Mall of America. Both of those rides, the uh, one in Compounds is named Ghost Hunt, and the one in, um, in Mall of America, I guess, is Ghost Blasters. But we've done bunches of those. Then uh, Paramount Parks saw the Ghost Blasters and said, you know, if we put our Scooby-Doo characters in there and change the ending of a ride a little bit, we could have a Scooby-Doo haunted ride. So they took our ghost blasters, we let them do this, we work with them, and installed uh, Scooby-Doo haunted mansions, and we did one a haunted swamp in in um, uh, St. Louis, Six Flags St. Louis, and did a bunch of, uh, that was a Six Flags park, but most of them were Paramount. Then Paramount sold their parks to Cedar Fair, who did not have the Scooby-Doo license, and we changed them back to Boo Blasters, which is why the Boo Blasters is at Carowinds. Yes, I remember it being Scooby-Doo's, I guess, Boo Blasters or whatever they called it. Yeah, my my kids grew up with that. So, Right, right. Was, and they had, all the, 
<laughs> they had all the Hanna-Barbera ghosts. And when we changed it back to Boo Blaster, we had uh, Drew ghosts because I, I drew most of that ride. And oh, very nice. Yeah, I designed most of that ride. And um, so, yeah, it has quite an interesting legacy. The, the whole dark ride business is insanely bizarre, uh, which is why I love it. You know, I've I've ridden both versions uh, at Kings Island multiple times, um, so I get it. Right, right. That's crazy stuff. You got to love it, though. I mean, and and of course, you know, there's just something eminently satisfying about shooting ghosts. I mean, you know, <laughs> Ghostbusters, non the nonetheless, you know, just aiming the gun, you know, shooting and competing with your kids and all. It's it's wholesome family entertainment. <laughs> well, you know, you talked about. Uh, the turkeys, uh, you have a little, what looks like a little turkey call, old fashioned turkey call. And when you press the trigger, it, it was, I think that was an old, maybe an old infrared system we had. It may be a laser system now, but, uh, and you'd hear, gobble, 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 gobble. you'd hear a turkey, gobble, 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 gobble. just like that. So you're going through the ride, hearing this all over the place and you find the turkeys. You're not shooting them. You're finding them. And they pop up when they hear the sound. Hmm. Uh, I am so going to that ride. <laughs> so whenever you are designing your rides, you know, whenever we're designing haunted houses and haunted attractions, we have a, you know, kind of a, um, a theory, you know, of how things, you know, should work. We have kind of a formula. So do you guys have a certain formula based on whether it's a family friendly or more of a scare ride or well, um, as to plan to help plan it out? Well, not so much a formula. We just listen to what the client wants. And we were very, very, uh, uh, very in tune with, with the client to make sure we give them what they want. For example, this ride we're doing up at Funtown Splashdown USA, the haunted hotel, the uh, lady that uh, runs that park the, uh, the, was one of the original founders, and she's in her 80s, I believe. She said, I want this scary. She said, I want it scary, but we're not doing bloody, ghastly scary. We're not doing Freddy Krueger, Friday the 13th scary. We're not doing anything like that. It is family fun scary, and she does want scary. She wants surprises, and we, we're putting those in there. And uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's something that the family will enjoy. It may not be for four-year-olds, you know, but that sort of thing, but, but it's... Um, so we, so we, I guess in, as far as a formula goes, we just have to listen to the client. That's what it's all about. And make sure we give them exactly what they're after. The right, the, the, when we did the Ghost Blasters with Lake Compounds, which was our very first one, he said, I want a creepy ride. I don't want it scary, but I want it creepy and fun. And that's, that's what we delivered. I do want to remind you that you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. We are discussing dark rides with our very special guest, Drew Hunter from Sally Dark Rides down in Jacksonville, Florida, along with our regular hosts. We're going to take a very short break here, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots. Variable ticket types. Bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as 
upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And we're back to the round table of terror. We are talking dark rides with our very special guest, Drew Hunter from Sally Dark Rides down in Florida, who builds and designs haunted dark rides and non-haunted dark rides all over the world. Uh, during the break, Storm, you said you had a question. What would that question be for our guest? Yeah, sure. Drew, in your experience, something I'm a little curious about is it harder to do uh, for a customer a really, really big dark ride, or is it uh, more difficult and uh, you know crazier to do a really, really small one? I'm, I'm sure you've seen both. Sure. Again, uh, there are so many variables uh, in, in this conversation regarding that, because when you talk about a small dark ride, are you talking about a, a one square footage? Uh, or are you talking about complexity? I'd imagine probably square footage because the complexity, you know, you, you go with it, but yeah, you know, somebody who, you know, has a small area, but really wants something spectacular. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> we have, as you said, we have done uh, all sorts uh, of sizes and the, uh, as far as a small, small ride, it's part of it has to do with timing. Uh, how long is the ride? Obviously, a shorter ride, if you travel through in a consistent speed, is going to be less time than going through a, let's say you have a 4,000 square foot ride, which is very small, uh, versus a 10,000 square foot ride. It's obviously going to take longer to go through that. That means you're going to have to have more vehicles for the larger ride to get more people through. Because when you do this for amusement and theme parks, it's all about getting people through this attraction and getting as many, as many people through as possible. That's part of our contracts. When we do contracts with, uh, with various parks, um, we have to guarantee how many people, what is the maximum number of people can go through this ride per hour? Because that's all about putting people through these attractions. So, Sometimes, for example, the haunted hotel we're doing up in Maine is a smaller ride. Uh, I'm trying to remember how large it is. I think it's around 8,000 square feet, I think. I think. But during the ride, the vehicle will pause in front of, uh, I believe, three different scenes. And that eats up time. It doesn't pause long. It pauses, I don't know, seven or eight seconds. But it will pause uh, here or there. And that obviously adds to the length of the ride. So it just depends on what, what, the, um, what is the point of the ride? How do we want to approach the, the theatricality of the ride and the, and the, and the throughput? So it's, uh, we can have a ride that uh, is a uh, 5,000 square foot ride that could be technically longer than one 10,000 square feet if we stop in the 5,000 square foot. And if we stop here or there, and uh, it, so it just it just depends on the on the ride itself. There's no real hard and fast rule about that. I would have to say that's that's a convoluted answer, but that's that's best I. <laughs> we oh, no, that works. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say in your long and storied career has been maybe the most unusual 
dark ride you personally have worked on? I would have to say I, I can name two. One was in Sweden at Astrid Lindgren World. Astrid Lindgren was a very famed and beloved authoress uh, in Sweden. She wrote Pippi Longstocking, if you remember, if you've ever heard of that. Yes. And she wrote tons of other children's literature. And she was a, people loved her over there. Well, she grew up in Vimmerby, Sweden, which is south of Stockholm, a little town. They have a little park there that had no rides in it, but they wanted to put a dark ride based on a TV show from the 1960s, which she helped script, Vipa Saltkraken. And it's about a little family that goes to one of the islands off the coast of Sweden during the summer and their adventures. A very family-friendly, fun, lightweight um, uh, show. And they wanted to take some of the favorite scenes from that show and make a dark ride around those. So obviously we had a gigantic learning curve in this. I mean, we'd never heard of Vipa Saltkraken, uh, Saltkraken being the name of the island. And Vipa, I mean, I believe it means back to Saltkraken, back to the, the island. And so we had to do research. We got the episodes. They sent us uh, DVDs for the episodes. We went to Sweden, talked with them, learned about this attraction, I mean, the, the, the TV show, and the park did a poll of what were the favorite scenes, people's favorite scenes, came up with 12 favorite scenes that we recreated in this ride. Obviously not a haunted ride, very, very much fun, very lightweight, very pretty, but we still had to figure out how do we frame this ride? How do we really, it's one thing to do a TV show and it's one thing to do a dark ride and quite different. So how do we do this? And we figured out a way to do it. And it was a, a huge hit for them, a huge hit. I think they recently, it's, it, I think it's about almost 20 years old or so. Uh, I think they recently took it out and did something else, but it had a good life. The other one was the um, uh, Nights in White Satin, the trip at Hard Rock Park in uh, Bertle Beach. Hard Rock Park lasted one season. They spent $450 million plus dollars on this park. And we were hired to come up with a dark ride based on the Moody Blues song, Nights in White Satin, from their famous theme album, Days of Future Past. And it was not an interactive ride, nor was the Salt Kraken ride, by the way. They were both passive rides where you go through and you, you look, you watch. So this one had to be basically a drug trip. <laughs> and... Uh, the music you're probably familiar with the song, Nights in White Satin, all sorts of interesting, curious lyrics. And we worked with uh, the people from Hard Rock Park and other creative folks and developed the most unusual, I will say, the most unusual dark ride I have ever beheld. Because there's all visual tricks, all kinds of strange illusions, all sorts of things tied in loosely to the music. There were projections, there were fog effects, there was black light effects, white light effects, optical illusions, all sorts of things. And you went on this thing and you were going, wow, this is the strangest thing I've ever been on. <laughs> it lasted one season. Wow. One season. The park closed. Some other people took over the park, but changed the name of the park, gutted the ride, <laughs> left the ride system, and they did their own little version of a dark ride in there that lasted less than one season. So that ride has quite a legacy. 
You can, you again, you can probably find some not very good videos of it on YouTube. Knights in white satin, the trip, and trust me, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the equivalent of a laser light show, but you're moving. You're moving through everything, and it was a beautiful ride. Uh, each, I think there were two. Two vehicles like linked together. Each vehicle sat, I believe, six people. Each vehicle had a state-of-the-art sound system in it. The Moody Blues uh, re-recorded the song with modern technology just for this ride. In fact, uh, when we were preparing for the ride, uh, when we were preparing for the ride, um, we uh, met the Moody Blues. Are we still on? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, we, we met the Moody Blues. They were at a concert here in Jacksonville and uh, went back to their dressing room uh, at intermission and said, what did you all think about when you were, when you were uh, writing this song? And they went, man, we don't know. We don't know what we were talking about. It was just crazy stuff. So we had sort of free reign to come up with whatever we wanted. That's a heck of an investment for a single season. <laughs> it was. And it, it was, of course, intending to be a, you know, a, a, a park there forever. But various things conspired against them. Location wasn't so great, uh, and some other things. And uh, part, as I said, shut down. Uh, ran one summer. Hmm. That brings up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just say I found a couple of videos on Knights in White Satin the trip. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am going to go see these things. So, but when you said things like that, when the uh, the rides disappear and and parks disappear and it reminds me that a few years ago, we had Joel Zika on the show from Australia. He has something called the Dark Ride Project. Okay. And he basically travels around the world and films dark rides. You know, he, he gets in the car, he sets up his camera, he goes through the ride. I've, I've seen many of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he's turning this into a VR experience to kind of preserve the legacy because a lot of these... You know, a lot of these parks, frankly, you know, are closing down. You know, COVID killed a lot of entertainment venues. And I'm sure there are, you know, dark rides from the 40s and the 30s and the 50s that are in bad states of repair that probably probably don't have much time left. I think Jonna mentioned Fire in the Hole at Silver Dollar City. I think after 50 plus years, that this is their last season for that. So, you know... It's a sad thing that a lot of these, you know, bits of history, some of them have been around literally about 100 years, are, are fading away. And, and we don't want people to forget about them. And I guess that's why he's putting together the Dark Ride Project. If you get a chance, go visit his oh, website. Yeah, I've seen some of that. It's great. It's, it's great. It's, I'm all for preserving this. Um, uh, you know, we had, we had a park. Uh, we had a, a ride in, uh, uh, in 2000 in Jazzland outside of New Orleans. It later became Six Flags New Orleans. But we had a ride there called Jocko's Mardi Gras Madness. And it was, again, a black light dark ride, interactive dark ride. I designed the entire ride. And it was so much fun. Unfortunately, Katrina happened in 2005 and completely flooded the park. And, and the park, it, remnants of it are still there. But uh, that ended that ride. So that ride had a brief life of just five years. Do you happen to know what the oldest existing dark ride is at this point? That's a good question. And uh, there are probably some in Europe, maybe in England, and some, maybe in uh, some of the larger amusement parks there. And there's some in, in 
in Germany. Um, I'll ha- that's a good question. I'll have to I'll have to look that up, and I I cannot give you the uh, probably our our president of our company, John Wood, one of the founders of Sally Dark Rides, could answer that in a in a heartbeat. Uh, but um, I don't I don't know right now what one of the oldest existing is. I would say <clears throat> some of the old ones from the um, 40s are still out there, 40s and 50s, in some smaller, more obscure amusement parks. But I couldn't, I couldn't give you a name. That's fine. I was just trying to give a time frame. So a lot of these are pushing 80, 90 years old, maybe I, even for, for some of these. So, and, um, you, and you have new ones coming out every year, I assume. We do. We do. This year we have... Um, uh, the Haunted Hotel. Then we have uh, Treasure Hunt um, in um, in Monterey Bay. Uh, brand new dark ride going in out there. It's it's been in in installation at at this moment. So that's going to be a brand new ride, exciting ride, uh, all pirate themed. Ooh, pirates are big. Gotta love it. Drew, so, um, you know yeah. we talked about um, you know some of the dark rides disappearing but you know you guys have evolved to you know focus more on dark rides through the company history you're telling us before the show are there areas where you see a lot of growth with dark rides is is there you know like a certain pattern with that internationally domestically um you know uh, it's, uh, a couple of places you mentioned today are more, you know, beach resort type of areas or or you know the smaller amusement parks well, I, that's a good question, and I I, I will tout Sally uh, Dark Rides in in regards to this that we have been instrumental in the renaissance of dark rides, in people in in people in parks investing in dark rides because it's very easy to see a return on investment uh, with a gigantic coaster, and see how that and see how that uh, attracts people to a park. They open up a brand new huge coaster. Harder to get a gauge on that with a dark ride, but that is turning around and, and the more interesting dark rides that are coming out are becoming much more influential. And I think our company has, has been instrumental in, as I said, the renaissance of dark rides. For example, a brand new theme park opened up last um, June in Iowa, in Waterloo, Iowa. Now you have to kind of really want to go to Waterloo, Iowa. It's a, uh, But it's a lovely little town and there is a park, there's a water park there called Lost Lost Island Water Park. And the folks that own that decided to build a theme park. They came up with their own mythos, their own story, and call it Lost Island Theme Park. You can look it up. We opened a ride there this last June called Volcanoo, Quest for the Golden Idol. And uh, I was the lead designer on that ride, too, as a matter of fact. And that was such a fun ride. And uh, it, it, t- it exemplifies much like we, you know, we did uh, a number of the rides, uh, Justice League rides in many of the Six Flags parks. Justice, uh, the, uh, um, with starring the Justice League uh, characters from Warner Brothers. And we um, battle for Metropolis. And we've opened a number of those which feature not only animatronic figures, and fully fleshed out sets and special effects, but 3D projections, which are all interactive. We use that similar techno- technology in the Volcano ride. 
So that is something that how, how dark rides have expanded in, uh, in going just from a black, a simple black light dark ride uh, with cutout figures painted in, in UV paint to very sophisticated rides with all kinds of intricate technology to allow you to go through, and some of them wearing, uh, wearing 3D glasses where the screens come alive and things pop out at you and such, but you're also interacting and playing a game. And uh, that, that, is a, that is a huge, huge thing that has been very, very popular in the uh, world of dark rides. Now, I, I remember going to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia, a few years ago, and there was a ride there. I, I cannot remember the name of it. I believe it was something Castle. Dark Castle. Dark Castle. Yep. Um, I don't remember if we actually physically moved or if it was one of those, you have a giant screen in front of you and the chairs kind of move to whatever is happening. No, you did move through it. It had vehicles. Okay. And had so that wasn't, that was an actual dark ride. Yes. Okay. It, if we moved, we didn't seem to move that far or that fast mm-hmm. compared to, you know, say, you know, haunted mansion or something like that. Is that, you know, a trend as far as I see like the Simpsons ride at universal that seems to be more of the sitting in a chair kind of thing. Does, is that classified as a dark ride? You know, that's, that's, uh, I personally, it is a dark environment and you're in a vehicle. You're not going anywhere. You're not literally traveling through space. You get the sensation that you are because of the giant Omni Omnimax dome that you're looking into, and the car is a simulator. I would call that a simulator attraction, okay. where where it gives you the impression you're going somewhere, but you're really not. Uh, I would say that a dark ride attraction, no matter what its theme or intent, takes you through space, takes you through a, um, uh, it moves you through space in some some capacity. Okay. Because I could not remember if Dark Castle actually moved versus The Simpsons, where it was obvious you did not. Yeah. Versus, no. is there a Harry Potter ride at Universal absolutely. that um, you move or do not move? I cannot oh, remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Three of them now. Oh, <laughs> wow. They have. Inclu- yeah, including a train ride from where Jaws used to be to, you know, the original Harry Potter world. Right, right. right. The, uh, the Forbidden Journey ride. If you've never been to Islands of Adventure, and uh, in uh, at Universal in Orlando, the Harry the Harry Potter Forbidden Journey ride is one of the most spectacular dark rides on the planet. Absolutely, and uh, it is ex- absolutely exciting. It's a mixture of film. It's a mixture of practical sets. Uh, the vehicle is on the end of a of a of an arm of a machine that swings you around. It does not go upside down, but it does the next best thing to it. And it is a thrilling, exciting ride. Then there's another ride at uh, Universal Park, the uh, Universal, uh, the other park that um, is a vehicle. It also has giant 3D screens, but sets as well. And that's the Gringotts, Gringotts ride, right. Gringotts Bank, where you go down underground and experience all kinds of stuff. So there's two wonderful dark rides uh, at the Universal Parks, Harry Potter themed. I have. It's been a number of years since I've been down there, so I'll have to go down and check those out. Oh yeah, it's just it's <laughs> so cool. It's so cool. Those are beautiful. So do, you, 
So do you think you guys are kind of, as you said, on the renaissance because of maybe a nostalgia factor? You know, we're not getting any younger, but a lot of us remember going on rides when we were kids and kind of recreating that. Or are we just introducing a new generation to this kind of stuff? Or, you know, do you have any information on the demographics that go on a dark ride? Is it more older people looking for that wave of nostalgia or is it the new kids that get drugged there by their parents and then they wind up going back because it's, I don't, I don't think so it's, cool. so, I don't think it's so much a nostalgia thing. Uh, it, I mean, it would be for me, probably would be for you all, but uh, it, it's not so much that as another opportunity for people to have an attraction that a, usually a whole family can go on. A whole family can't necessarily go on a giant, giant rough coaster a huge mega coaster uh this is an these are attractions that that uh, most families can go on they're they're uh as far as the movement and so on they're fairly tame our volcano attraction does have a um a uh a vehicle which which makes you feel like you're tilting going backwards going forwards and all sort of things but you never leave the ground you're going through space, you are moving, but it gives you the impression, it's called a DOF vehicle, degrees of freedom. And it's uh, the Spider-Man uh, ride at Universal, which I count as one of the best dark rides in the world at uh, Islands of Adventure, uh, has the, that sort of a vehicle where you, it gives you the sensation of tilting and, and, and in concert with what you're watching on the screens. So uh, these, in answer to your question, the, the parks want to have another option aside from big thrill rides. They want something that a whole family can go on. They can also get out of the sun, get out of the heat, enjoy a little few moments of cool during the summertime and sit down. And it's a, it's a, I don't think a theme or amusement park is complete without at least one dark ride because it, it, it is, you have a Ferris wheel, you have a, you have a roller coaster, you have other types of flat rides and this and that, but a dark ride is a very unique type of attraction that I think must be in the mix of any good amusement or theme park. Can't argue with that. And of course, you know, a good state fair or a good county fair probably has to have at least one haunted house or something like that where you get on the carts and, and enjoy that as well. So that's right. And you know, and you're all talking about, um, uh, just haunted attractions, not dark rides, but just regular haunted attractions is, uh, you know, I, I kind of got my start in that. Uh, my first professional I did was in 1975 at the, at the Louisiana State Fair uh, with a theater group. And we, we, I was with that for 11 years and we did a, uh, a, uh, a show in a, an old theater in an old uh, exhibit building there where we had our theater and turned it into a uh, walkthrough. So I, I'm very, very, I have a long history in actual walkthrough, you know, traditional haunted houses. Uh, and even had a company in Dallas in the 90s that we supplied uh, designs, costume, music, all sorts of things for haunted attractions uh, across the country. That was fun. In a very, very weird sort of strange twist of fate, it was a dark ride that actually got me into wanting to become a haunted attraction mm -hmm. actor. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was about eight years old at the North Carolina State Fair, and there's usually two or three dark rides there. And I remember standing in front of one, there was this huge crowd there, watching this 
dark ride. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but my dad and I were there. And uh, at the very end of the ride where the gates kind of fly open and the, the car comes out and then does that long little slow ride to where you hop out, they had a dude standing on a platform above it dressed in a you know werewolf mask. And he would, as the doors fly open, he would literally climb down into the back of the car and a lot of people did not know they were there and, and people were laughing and pointing and going, look out and all this stuff. And, and they would turn around, they'd scream because they thought the ride was over. And suddenly this guy in a mask was behind them riding in the back of the cart. And it was just fascinating to watch. And I know the first time I saw him at the tender age of eight, I was like, I want to be that guy in the mask. That's beautiful. Jumping down and scaring stuff. I mean, I, I probably stood there for... 30 minutes watching that and you know my dad's like come on let's go and i'm like no no one more one more because you know carts were coming out like every you know 45 seconds to a minute this was not a very high throughput cart or ride i guess but it gave him plenty of time to get out of the cart before the people actually got unbuckled and he would go climb back up the platform and you know i know there were people getting on the ride that knew he was there and we're expecting it. So, you know, sometimes, you know, they would be looking for him when he would, when they finally get outside and, and, you know, with the lights and at nighttime and it's October when North Carolina state fairs in there and the, you know, the popcorn in the air and the, the, the coolness of the breeze and all that, it was just a perfect, perfect um, atmosphere for me to go. I, I think I want to scare people for a living. I think that would be just tremendous. And, and <laughs> I love it. That's beautiful. That was, that was also like <clears throat> 1975, but we won't talk about that. But, you know, all these years later, I, I'm still working at haunted attractions. So, well, that's beautiful. You know, that's, that's I have, I love I have dark rides to thank for it. So <laughs> uh, when I was in, uh, when I was in grammar school uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana, we had a, a October, mid October, we had fun night. And the rooms would turn into various things. You'd have a cakewalk, you'd have a go fishing room, you'd have all kinds of stuff. And they had a little den of horrors. But the grades one through three could not go through the den of horrors. They they said it was too scary. So I remember standing out in front of that thing, in front of the just a regular classroom, you know, it was after hours, uh, it was a, on a Friday night in October. And I remember it was a month in the, from, from the first through third grade, standing out in front of this room, hearing people scream inside, going, what in the world, what in the world is going on in there? Why are these kids running out? What's happening? Well, in the fourth grade, I was able to go. So I put my dime down and went through and came out. And I remember distinctly the first thing I thought when I came out I was going, well, that was great fun. I loved it, but I think I could do better than this. <laughs> and I ended up working in the haunted house the next couple of years uh, as a kid. And then many years later, the school brought me back in to help them with the same room, <laughs> the same room where I had gone through as a fourth grader to help them with the haunted house. That was before I did anything professionally way back. But um, yeah, you know, once you get that bug in you and you get that, that thrill, that, uh, that excitement of being in a, in a space and scaring people and making them scream and fall down and run and all that sort of thing. Oh man, that's hard to top that. Nothing better. Nothing better. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Uh, 
Uh, looking at the clock here, we might need to start winding it down a little bit. Any uh, questions from the hosts at this time? I want to know, is it easier to design, to design for American and Canadian companies versus European or Asian companies? Do they have a different uh, expectation and mindset as to what is scary or what works? I think the answer is yes. I think there is a different expectation. Uh, expectation. Um, in, um, for example, you go to a, 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 some of the parks in Germany, some of the classic old parks, and many of the rides are passive rides. They're not necessarily interactive. Not all, but most are old-fashioned rides where you ride through and you look at stuff and all kinds of different themes. And there's a different, uh, just a different flavor about them. Uh, to a to a great extent. That's not to say that there are not interactive. There are interactive rides over there and and such. We we opened up one in um, Port Aventura in Spain a couple of years ago, a Sesame Street ride. Uh, we worked with the our our design uh, department worked with the um, Sesame Street people and created an entire ride based on Sesame Street. It's been hugely successful, and that's that is also interactive. But in some of the older parks. And some of the classic parks in Britain and certainly in Germany and even in France, there is just a different feel about the ride than you'd find in America. We did a, we worked on a ride in, uh, we did not design it, but we went in and relit it and added a few things to it up in Tivoli Gardens in uh, Copenhagen in Denmark. And it's just a different flavor. If you've ever been to those parks, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a different feel to those parks than there is in uh, American parks. It's hard, to, it's hard to put it into words, but it is distinctly different. Well, I assume what they find scary may be something totally different than what Americans find scary. To some degree, but you're really going to find that in the, in the, uh, in the Orient, uh, where they have different, uh, different uh, values of, of what they consider scary and, and uh, what, what we would consider scary. Some of the things that we, we think would be traditionally scary, they, they're not into that at all. They're into other stuff. So it really is, uh, it depends on what culture you're in and how we, how we tailor what we do to that culture. So what do you think is the future of dark rides with, you know, CGI and VR technology and, and things like that? Um, are they going to be, you know, less animatronic and lights and sound versus more CGI and movie screens and stuff like that? Is it going to be more like the, the Harry Potter rides versus, you know, riding around on a track like Haunted Mansion type thing, in your opinion? Well, well, uh, as, every, as we know, everything goes through phases. Everything goes through what's, what's the current trend. And... The, the rise that you're discussing with the lot of CGI and such that is currently very, very uh, in vogue uh, to, a, to a huge extent. Um, I, and I, I'm working on a ride right now that is uh, gonna have a lot, of, uh, a lot of that in it, not excessively, it'll also have physical sets. Same way we did uh, the Vulcanu ride up in Iowa, uh, there was a mixture of screens and practical sets and practical animatronics. Some really cool animatronics, but you know, just Drew. Uh, I mean, Drew Hunter, right here. Uh, I like going into a dark ride, and this is you know, people call me. I, you know, I can't stand this. I can't stand the term old school. 
I don't, I'm, I'm not I'm not fond of that term, but maybe traditional, maybe a better term. I don't know. Where I go into a, a ride and it's and it's there. You're in an environment. Uh, it obviously limits what you can do when you're looking at a 3D screen and and see a giant volcano monster coming out of a of a, a volcano and attacking you. That's kind of hard to do in a in a uh, in a traditional ride, but uh, what a what a traditional ride I would say traditional meaning full of sets full of uh, scenery scenery and sets and lighting and special effects is um, that's hard to beat uh, and even even the uh, the very comparatively very simple ghost blaster rides where it's basically black light flat cutout stuff much like the old Mr Toad rides um, it's there it's all right there you see it. We do have some video effects in there, but but it's there. You're you're in the you're in the moment with what you're seeing. You are traversing through an environment that has been created, a theatrical environment. I personally love that. I hope that never goes out of vogue. I think there's a place for everything. There's a place for every 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 kind. But for Drew personally, I hope that angle never goes away. Any uh, final questions from the hosts? No, I think we covered a lot and uh, some, you know, definitely some interesting uh, concepts and stories and some more for us to look out for. I don't know how many of us really knew, you know, what a true dark ride is. We just thought it was always the haunted fun house, but uh, definitely more to look out for. Yeah. And, and listen, if you, uh, if you ever get down to uh, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, let me know and uh, give you a little uh, walkthrough of our company. It's a fascinating place to visit. I will probably go back to IAPA this year. So I usually overnight in St. Augs. So that's just yep. down the road. Just I might, 30 miles I might have, road. To, yep. I may we, have to come talk to you. <laughs> we, have, we have mechanical <laughs> people. We have computer people. We have mold makers. We have costume makers. We have sculptors, artists, uh, you name it. Designers. So basically a haunted house on wheels. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, I always wanted to grow up to do this. I uh, always wanted to grow up to do what I'm doing now. And it was a long road to get here. I did theater, did obviously, you know, I have a whole history of wax museums. I was creative director for a bunch of wax museums. Uh, mural painter, was in TV for a while. So but it, all, everything I did led me to this. All these different disciplines led me to doing what I'm doing now. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I feel very fortunate to have been at Sally for as long as I've been there. I've been there now a little over 26 years and, um, continue to continue to work there at my ancient age. <laughs> so Sally dark rides, do you guys do, uh, do you create a lot of dungeon dressing or do you like bring in elements? Are you, you know, is there a lot of latex pouring molds and fiberglass being done or, you know, do you bring in the components from, uh, other contractors? No, we, we, uh, for larger rides, very often, we will have, uh, we will hire a company to build the sets, but we design them. Uh, we, we design the sets, we supervise the sets, we art direct the sets. Uh, sometimes the sets, for example, the, the Vulcanu ride I mentioned up in Iowa, uh, the, for the most of those sets had to be built by, we hired a company to build them to our specifications and to our designs. And, uh, and install them. They install them with our supervision. 
But for the ride we're doing now up at Funtown Splashdown USA, the Haunted Hotel, we're building all that stuff in our shop as we speak. And uh, so, uh, but as far as a sculpt, we did a ride up in, um, up at uh, Santa's Village up in uh, New Hampshire a few years ago. And, okay. and we, it was a, uh, called the Great Humbug Adventure. Uh, and it was a redo of an old ride, but they gutted the old ride and we did it brand new from scratch. And we had to have a couple of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge animatronics. So I designed what I thought Ebenezer Scrooge could look like in a couple of different manifestations in the ride. We sculpted them and created them in shop, built the animatronic figures in shop, costumed them in shop, programmed them. I wound up doing the voice for Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> and uh, it was it was a blast. We had a great time. So yeah, we're we're a we're quite a varied company when it comes to that. There's so many talented people that work at Sally Dark Rides. It's it's amazing. Are you sure you grew up, Drew? No, because it sounds like you're still <laughs> no. living your childhood dream to me. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Ever since my dad took me to that fir a first dark ride at a at a, a, at a, a state fair. Uh, which I loved. And then in 1958, went to the original Disneyland just three years after it opened. I was uh, seven, seven and a half years old and went on Mr. Toad, Peter Pan, Snow White. And then my dad took me to um, Pacific Ocean Park, which was a big old pier park uh, out of the ocean in, in, uh, in uh, Santa Monica, Pacific Ocean Park. And they had a couple of dark rides there, including one called Mystery Island, which you went into a volcano and that, that did it for me. That's how I said, I'm on, I came back to Shreveport, Louisiana and told all my friends in my grammar school that this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And that was one of my goals of growing up or not growing up to, um, to do this and somehow make a living out of doing it. So I'm very, very fortunate to have done that. We should all be so lucky. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're already doing a good job doing your haunts and, and so on. Cause that's, I, I did that. Uh, I still go on haunts. I, I have so many friends in the haunted attraction industry. Uh, used to go, I haven't gone to Transworld in a long time, but used to go every year. Um, and I love that stuff. It never gets old to me. You should definitely make it to Transworld or one of our other trade shows. See yeah. what we're up to. Yeah, I would love that because so many things have changed. There's, of course, there's a whole new... I mean, I'm talking about when I... This is in the early 90s when I was going through all that stuff. I had a company in Dallas, as I said. And... Um, uh, but I, but I've been doing it, uh, like I said, since 1975 was my first, my first professional haunt. And, um, uh, I was, I think 25 years old when that happened. So, um, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. I love it. Well, we definitely will have to invite you to come back at some point. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll, uh, get you to come to Transworld next year and we'll, we'll see what, uh. What's changed since the last I, time you've been I'd there? I'd love to do that. I loved it. I remember the first year I went to Transworld. I thought I, I thought I just passed on and gone to heaven. Well, it, it, it's changed a little bit since. I'm then. sure, but it, it's it's still there and fantastic. Oh, but um, any final questions? This is. The uh, I, I guess. I guess the last final question is: Do you get to go experience the finished product, or do you have to do that on your own? Oh no! I, if if I have been working on one of the rides, we have a, we have a number of designers. Our my other other main designer at the uh, at the at the uh, at Sally Dark Rides is Rich Hill. Rich Hill is an insanely fabulously talented gentleman, 
who did all of our uh, Battle for Metropolis uh, Justice League rides and is working on several other rides right now. And um, it, it, tremendous talent. We are so fortunate to have. And he's he's been at the company. He just celebrated, I think, his 24th year with Sally. And um, so, yes, the answer to the question is yes, we get to go. Uh, get to go see the rides and get to, and the company sends us because we're, we, I want to see what people look like when they come off the ride and see how it's doing and see how it's working. Because very often I will be in the last stages of installation where I will help on final art direction, timing of the ride, and all kinds of details that go into this. Dark rides are far, far more complicated than most people think because um, it's, uh, it's all a matter of timing, lighting. It's, it's theater. You're going through, you're experiencing theater of a very unique and interesting form. And so that's what we have to make sure works right. So yeah, I get to go on those things. Absolutely. I want to know if you're hiring. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, this is the part of the show we like to affectionately call the plugs. So if I were in an owner of a theme park, private, big one, small one, and I was interested in maybe having a dark ride created or modified or changed, how would I get more information regarding, say, a company like Sally Dark Rides? Look up Sally Dark Rides. Google it, sallydarkrides.com in Jacksonville, Florida. And there are emails, although you look, I'm sure there's a place on the site that says for information and fill out the little form and write it and somebody will get back. And we have a sales force that will uh, contact you and find out what you're interested in. And, and that will uh, instigate other conversations of what is the scope of the project you're looking at? What is the style? How big of a ride are you looking at? What is the point of the ride? And all the other questions that have to come down to figure out how we can help you out in either creating a brand new ride for you or refurbishing an old ride and, or adding things to it, adding, adding elements to an existing ride. There's no two things we do are the same. Even some of the rides, for example, the, the um, Ghost Blaster rides we have done, we've done multiple number of those Ghost, Ghost Blaster rides, but none of them are exactly the same. They have different layouts for different places. And I've laid out so many of those rides in different, different types of buildings. So everything, everything we do is custom. Everything is different. Even if we may be repeating a basic theme of a ride, your version will have its own special uniquities that nobody else has. But anyway, write, write sallydarkrides.com, ask for information, and someone will get with you. Just that simple. So, Drew Hunter, we want to thank you for taking the time to come out here and speak with us about Dark Rides. It's been a fascinating conversation. I love hearing the history. I love hearing about some of the cooler stuff. I learned a lot tonight. I'm sure the other hosts did, too. Uh, I I had no idea that, uh, you know, some of the things you talked about tonight existed. So, and it just means I need to get traveling to a lot more places and check out a lot more of these cool things, especially that Thanksgiving one. Oh, geez. I oh, boy. Gobbler getaway. Gobble, yes, gobble, gobble. Yep. <laughs> yep. Gobbler getaway. Go see the turkeys. Well, we want to thank Drew Hunter of Sally Dark Rides, sallydarkrides.com, if you are interested in getting more information. And, of course, we could not do this without our contributions from our hosts, including Storm. 
All right, listeners, start now. Start demanding your your cryptid dark rides. You, you want Mothman's flying around, Chupacabras chasing the cars, all the good stuff. Bigfoot at the end. You know, cryptid dark rides. That's that's a new thing we gotta get going. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I hope one exists already. Also, want to thank Meat Hook Jim. You know, after we get done here, I am going to go watch Knights in White Satin: The Trip. <laughs> probably don't need to be sober when doing that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> that <was> sober. <laughs> and, it, and you know that that when you see that on video, it's it, it's it's hard. It was hard to capture that on video because it's such a strange ride and it's very dark and. Uh, some of the yeah, so you'll get the gist of it, but it's man, what a strange ride that was! I love a long, strange trip it's been. Apparently, <laughs> also want to thank the old crone, aka Jana. Well, I think I'm going to have to dig out some drama, mean, and go check out these rides. <laughs> Definitely. My name is Drew Badger, and and all I have to say is I sure hope that that Sesame Street Park ride in Spain was brought to you by the letters B, O, and the number zero. You <laughs> Once again, folks, this is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. And Badger, don't forget, it's a small, small world. Oh, it's a small God. world after all. Would you like me to like steam that? Yeah, I can steam no. it for you if you'd like. Listeners, listeners and welcome and welcome watch out don't trip, don't over, don't that trip over that torso it's time, it's time for between, between the, the corpses, corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And as we continue our journey through torture and execution, we have come up to jails. As with long-term prisoners, the conditions faced by people temporarily jailed depend on their wealth. Those who could afford to bribe their jailers lived remarkably comfortable, entertaining lives. Doesn't sound very fair, does it? 
A stay in jail was not a defined sentence or punishment. Most people found themselves behind bars awaiting trial after being arrested, usually for debt or assault. A number were religious or political dissenters. If they were acquitted following a trial, they were freed. Likewise, they were released if they paid outstanding debts. Guilt on a majority of charges meant a sentence of hanging. The condemned awaited the outcome of appeals in jail. Petty charges generally led to an instant form of punishment, like the pillory or a whipping. London boasted 18 prisons in the 17th century, but only Newgate was for proven criminal offenders. From Tudor times to the era of reform, a prisoner's experience of jail was directly related to his wealth. If he had ready cash, he paid bribes or garnish to the jailers, ensuring that his living conditions were tolerable and the food abundant. Men who provided sufficient amounts of garnish had access to hard liquor and local prostitutes. There were singing and dancing, gambling and tobacco. Sometimes they entertained friends in their quarters, including wives and mistresses. These men were compelled to tip the fellows who opened every one of the barred doors on the way up to the luxury quarters, known as the master's side. It wasn't a case of corruption among the guards, more capitalism in action. Prisons of the era were privately run for profit. Jailers, many of them former convicts, were poorly paid and earned money where they could. They benefited when visitors flocked to see a notorious criminal in the condemned cell, as each would have to pay to file past the hapless crook. Jailers were known to charge the friends of dead prisoners for the release of a coffin. The rich went into the city to continue business and pleasure after paying the jailers. It was even possible to secure freedom with an ample bribe, although there was the prevailing risk of the rearrest. A law made in the time of Henry the sixth which stated that prisoners could not be charged more than one groat for services was entirely ignored the longer a man stayed in prison the more depleted his funds became when the level of garnish dropped he was shifted down a grade in accommodation men and women were kept together usually in the company of dogs hens, pigs, and pigeons. Dogs were not banned from prisons until 1792, while pigs and poultry dwelled behind bars for a further 22 years. Inmates had access to food and drink, but their comforts were fewer in number. Female inmates had every reason to pursue intimate relations with the men. They could escape the noose if they were able to plead the belly, prove pregnancy. 
As long as a prisoner had money, a stay in jail was not too scarring. Indeed, some people sought a period of incarceration either to escape creditors or to avoid detection from a serious crime like highway robbery. The richest, like those who lived in an area known as the Rules, attached to the Fleet Prison in London, enjoyed a peculiar protected position in society. They had liberty, but were unable to be arrested because, of course, they were already in custody. Wow. That's an odd one, I, I, I would think. Uh, well, we'll you know we'll see what the next one brings. Um, have a great weekend. Look, it's coming. What is this? Where did it come from? Monster attack, San Francisco. Golden Gate Bridge ripped from towers. Skyscrapers topple. Our city may be next. See Columbia Pictures. It came from beneath the sea. Sinister Symphonies. The Hellfire Club. On the Big Scary Show.
Hello everyone, Drew Badger here down at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is day two. I think most of us are running about a little half speed now because yesterday was just so dang busy. Lots of people here. They just opened the doors. The people are slowly filtering in, making their way towards the back wall where Drop Dead Design Studios happens to be, kind of near we are, where we are. See these guys here every year. Saw them at Transworld a couple weeks ago, but thought I'd wait and talk to them here. Got Beth Williams here. How are you? We're doing great, thanks. We had a great show at Transworld. Very excited to be here, and we're going to continue on throughout the year. All kinds of different shows coming up. Well, you just took away my first question, which was going to be how Transworld was, but I guess I'll ask the second question. How has the Oddities Expo been for you so far? It's been wonderful. Everybody's really great. A lot of people coming in, new faces, uh, people that came in last year coming back to see us, so that's been great. So you're getting some return business, hopefully? Yes, some return business, exactly. And some of the stuff you've got here, I mean, you've got masks, you've got weapons, you've got all kinds of cool props, perfect stuff for the haunted attraction industry, hence why you were at Transworld. But what is some of the uh, the big sellers, maybe at Transworld, maybe this past weekend, what, what's some of the hot stuff that you're selling here? Well, we have sold a lot of the voodoo dolls. That's new. Uh, we are selling a lot of masks here at the Oddity Show. These are They're latex, foam, or silicon? Latex, half masks mostly. We have some full head latex masks, so selling some of those. Um, we have some oddity pieces with the skulls. And let's see here. The staffs are always a big seller here. I, I do love the staffs. You know, I saw that rack of them at Transworld and you know, was very tempted to buy one. I, I'm walking with a cane right now, doing a little back therapy and back rehabilitation I'm doing right now. But this is some, it's really good stuff. It looks very corpsified. It looks very dead. It looks really cool. And um, like the skulls here you've got with the horns on them and the spikes coming out of them. These are perfect decors for your haunted attraction. But the, the masks are really nice. Are, this is all designed by you guys? Yes, or yes. you uh, hand paint and everything like that? Hand painting, yep. Most of them are ours. Yeah, we have a friend that makes masks with us and uh, super talented. And um, let's see here. Yeah, pretty much all of ours. So uh, one of the new things that we introduced at Transworld is the surgical light combo with the heartbeat monitor and the bag valve mask and the LED lights. That's been a big hit. I was going to ask about that because I saw this yesterday and, like you said, a surgical table lighting set. Perfect for your asylum, your mad scientist lab or whatever. But one of the things that really makes this one stand out is you've got an actual, like, heartbeat monitor going on. I'm assuming it's done with LED or something? The heartbeat monitor is actually a video that was created, and it's on a tablet, so you can interchange. We have different um, heartbeat, different ones that you can, you know, put up pop up on the screen and play whatever you want. Oh, that would be interesting. And it's got I, sound too. I, I could totally see somebody like lying on the table with it just going beep 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 and then they all of a sudden start getting up to scare you and goes beep 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 and, yeah. and that flat that's actually customable. Yeah, or, or yep, yeah, or flatlining or whatever needs to be done there. Oh man, that that is a neat concept. I don't think I've actually seen that at a haunt and I assume that sold well at Transworld. Oh, sold very well. Yes, we have a lot of orders for that one. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations on that. So what is brand spanking new for either this show or this year in general? Uh, well, we have extra, well, we're all sold out, but the extra large mallets, I don't know. Did you see one, Drew, yesterday? One the of the, the clown size? size? Yeah, clown size. I mean, mallets. it's not one of those that's like four feet long or anything. Oh, no, no, no. no. Uh-uh, it's probably, the handle's probably three feet long. 
and it's probably 12 inches in diameter, okay. super lightweight. Oh, I know which ones like you're talking that. about. Yeah, I saw those yesterday. Yeah, They're all some, gone. Wow. Yeah, we have some vintage axes that we have this year. Um, we're going to be offering a lot of um, UV coating on our weapons coming up, so I'm excited about that. And one thing about our products that really stands out is the wooden handles. A lot, it's extra durable. Actors can beat up on them. Yeah, pop them against a wall, makes a nice noise and all that. Right. And the other thing that we just talked about that's brand new is the lights. Okay. For the uh, for the table and all that. I, I do like that. And I assume those lights can be made UV for like a clown room or something like that? Oh, yeah. We can do that. Oh, nice. So you do a lot of custom work as we well. We do. We do. Very cool. And um, I know that you're here at the Oddities Show. What other shows are you going to be vending at that you know of this season before uh, the season gets kicked into high gear? We have Fear Expo coming up in March. We have Carolina Fear Fest in May. And then we have... That's in Raleigh. Right, in okay. Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Fear Expo is in Owensboro, Kentucky. Kentucky. And then we have um, MHC that we're going to be doing. Nice. And then we're doing an Oddities Show in Richmond. And I'm sure I'll bust a couple out because I can't remember them all on the spot. Well, that's okay. It is early on Sunday morning. So for people wanting to know where they can come and see your products live, purchase them, walk off the show floor like this, or if you just want to see catalogs, some of the new stuff they've got coming out, some of the old classics that they have, what are the websites and social medias where they can get that info? Okay, so we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. Uh, our website is www.dropdeaddesignstudios.com. And, you know, as you said, congratulations on being sold out of all this stuff. I assume you have to go home now and start making more, as they say. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. So we've got to get ready for our next show. Excellent. So we hope to have you do well here for this very, very, very early Sunday morning <laughs> out here in Charlotte. But uh, we look forward to seeing you at Fear Expo and MHC and Carolina Fear Fest and the Oddity Show in Richmond and all things else, dropdeaddesignstudios.com. Look them up on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and all that. Beth Williams, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, Drew. Good to talk to you. As well. Uh, my name is Drew Badger here at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Charlotte for the Big Scary Show. And we're out. Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. As we're preparing for our new season coming up, now may be a good time to take a look at what your business structure is. Now is a good time with working on taxes and dealing with your accountants and bookkeepers to evaluate as to whether or not the business structure you have is best for you. Now there's typically a sole proprietorship. That's probably the easiest type of business to start. And that's what most of us have. But that can also leave you open to um, your assets, such as your home, vehicles, and things being taken if there's any issues with a lawsuit or something like that. So let's talk about a limited liability corporation. The advantage of a limited liability corporation is just that it 
limits your liability. So let's say you own a home and your business, something happens, you get sued. They cannot come after your house. They can only come after the assets that are associated with your business. And these are simple to set up and the cost is very minimal. Now you can actually find online, you can just Google, you know, start an LLC and you'll find all kinds of websites that want to charge you for doing this. This is something you could do by yourself. Just go to your particular state website and you will have a fee. For instance, in Arkansas, it's $45, I believe. But you will fill out the form right there on their website. You pay the fee right then and there. You're not paying for a membership to some company that you're never going to want to use again. Because that's basically what they're going to do. Is they're going to fill it out for you, but you still have to put all the information in anyway. So you're just kind of doing the same work anyhow. So look into this. There's also a full incorporation if you have a large organization, several partners, several people involved in it. You may want to consider incorporating. But I think the LLC is probably the best bet for most people in the haunted attraction industry. Now, here's a little bit of disclaimer. I am not an accountant. I am not a lawyer. That's just my two cents. That and, you know, $1.50 will get you a cup of coffee. Not not any kind of fancy cup, coffee with latte and chromia mako or any of that stuff. Just a plain black cup of coffee. Until next time, don't forget to stir the cauldron. Baby, this is Wolf Man Jack here, and I want to tell you about Phantom of the Paradise. It's a movie, man, and it's out of sight. It's about a cat who sells his soul for rock and roll. It's a horror story. It's a love story. It's a comedy, all rolled into one phantasmagorical flake. So take it from the Wolf Man. Get down with the Phantom of the Paradise. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Ha 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 ha. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunted attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here, live at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in my hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. Sunday afternoon, we're starting to wind things down just a little bit. The crowds are still buying, the entertainers are still entertaining, the sellers are selling. It's just been a madhouse here. But we always try to get a couple minutes with the organizer, Michelle Consalio. Thank you again for allowing the Big Scary Show to come out here. And I I can't say anything other than it looks like it's been a very successful 
two days here. Yes, this is our first two-day show here in Charlotte, and it was incredible. So I'm really happy. <laughs> I mean, what was the uh, the deciding factor? I mean, you, you've been doing one-day shows for so long. I think maybe Chicago was a two-day show the last couple of years, but I don't think you really had any others. So why was Charlotte and a couple of other cities expanded to two days? Um, we decided to go to two days in a few select cities to try it out because uh, we don't want it to be too crowded during the shows. We want everyone to have a comfortable shopping experience. And I figured the only way to do that was to add another day and help spread out the crowds and then hopefully get more people. And that's exactly what happened here in Charlotte. Um, I feel like it was a much more comfortable shopping experience opposed to last year where it was a great turnout. Everyone did really well, but it was really crowded, which can be not as fun. <laughs> well, I think the only complaint I heard this entire weekend was that the booths have been very crowded, and it was actually a little hard to get into some of them because, hey, people were trying to buy, people were trying to sell, and, you know, there's not much you can do about that. It's a horrible problem to have, right? Oh, totally, yeah, and I, I understand that, and I feel like adding the second day did help that, but really, at the end of the day, we are um, a popular show nowadays, and so it just is what it is. Sometimes you have to just wait a second to get into the booth, so... Well, you know, like I said, it's a terrible problem to have. Too many people here to buy too many things and too many sellers, hopefully making money hand over foot. You know, the people next to us have just been swarming with people and and making great sales. And it looks like overall everything is just another big success. So I'm guessing Charlotte's going to stay two days from from now until the foreseeable future. Oh, definitely. I already have our same weekend next year and, yeah, two days for sure. So. You got you got to love that. Now, I know you've got several shows coming down the road, and I know this is going to be a couple of weeks before this show airs, but say starting in April, where are some of the places you're going to be through like April and May and going into the summer? Yeah, so in April, we have a super busy month. Um, it starts off in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Then we have our local show of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Then we head out uh, kind of east again, back to Indianapolis and Columbus. And then into May, we're still up north in Minneapolis and Milwaukee. So, yeah, we're about to kind of hit Midwest pretty hard right now. (laughs) How have uh, pre-sales tickets and all that going? Uh, Pre-sales are going great for every single show that we have out. Um, Still kind of blown away by that, but it's awesome. So, yeah, it seems like we made a good decision for the two-day shows. And then the one-day shows, I already have a feeling we'll need to expand next year. And you've only been doing this what now? Five years, six years. This is this is incredible. The amount of growth that that you've gone through in just such a short amount of time, pandemic notwithstanding. God, how big would it be if that hadn't have happened? Yeah, yeah. We started in 2017, and yeah, it's really blown up. Um, we thought like, oh, 2020 is going to be our year, and then you know that happened. But um, I feel like we just kind of made it through that, and then here we are, and it's just growing more and more. I'm constantly blown away by it. <laughs> Are you having other cities trying to bid to have you guys come to them for 2024? Yeah, we get emails all the time of places asking us to come there. And um, I'm going to be adding a few new cities next year, but that's a secret still. Well, we'll just have to wait until Halloween night, of course, when you release all that good stuff. Yep, Halloween. <laughs> Every year we announce the next year's dates. So. Do you do that like a live stream or do you just like post it on social medias? Um, so we just post it and then we do. We also do a live stream, but we post it on our website across all of social media and make uh, like event pages and things like that. So that's how the announcement goes out. Okay. So once again, Michelle, congratulations. It looks like this has been a fantastic show for Charlotte. I'm sure the previous shows that have happened this year have also been successful. 
and we look forward to seeing you get even bigger. I know you probably can't do a three-day show, but, you know, there is Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, depending on where you are. Who knows? You might have a three-day show at some point in the future. Who knows? I guess that's a goal. (laughs) You never know. But once again, thank you for allowing the Big Scary Show to come out here. You know, we're in a table way off in the corner. We've been slammed all weekend. The people next to me have been slammed. People in the middle, my God, I can't can't imagine. There's... I'm going to go conservative and say there's probably four to 5,000 people that have passed through the Dillers just yesterday and today, if, if not more than that. Oh, definitely. Yesterday in Charlotte, we had um, a little over 11,000 people oh throughout God, the really? day, and then today we'll have a, around six. Being, being in the corner here, I can't necessarily see everybody out on the floor in the main area there. So, my goodness, that, that is fantastic numbers. So, congratulations again. We will be uh, following you and your other locations down there. Uh, I know Meat Hook Gym, and I know John of the Old Crone is, are looking to go to to shows in their respective locales. So once again, for people who are interested in this kind of odd and curious stuff, and a lot of people in this town seem to be, where can people get more information, websites, social medias, ticket purchases, see a list of the cities that are down for the rest of 2023 and beyond? So you can find everything on our website, odditiesandcuriositiesexpo.com, and then of course all of our social media is just Oddities and Curiosities Expo. Can't go wrong with that. Michelle Consaglio, thank you so much again. This is a this is a great show. We have enjoyed it. We look forward to uh, hearing more bigger and better things. And uh, I know the hardest part now is going to be trying to get in here and unload and out with everybody. <laughs> yep, now we got to pack it all up and leave. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen soon. Once again, folks, my name is Drew Badger here for the Big Scary Show live in Charlotte at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo 2023. And we're out. Franklin by the fullness of the moon on the big scary show.
your actors, your props, yourself. If they're worth dressing right, they're worth Von Karen. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Boncaron.com. V-O-N-C-H-A-R-O-N.com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Creepy Collection. Dark Imaginings. Fright Finder. Haunt Pay. Von Caron Productions. And VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger, Haunt Consulting and more, rabidbadger.org. Meat Hook Jim, check out his other podcast at wrestlehorror.com. And Storm, Rants and more, hauntminute.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.